every week you come to your homes, your little phones, if you're driving around the world, wherever you are, popping on and listening to what you would say the radio, because this is today's radio. Remember everybody used to walk around with a transistor radio back in the day? <laughs> transistor radio, it's funny, because now this is like the size of what a transistor radio would have been, just a little bit fatter, and you'd be holding it and listening and grooving, right? So you'd be saying, wow, listen to the sound. But now we used to pretend, they said, imagine we can watch what we're listening to. Well, now we have that technology transistorizing later, 40 years later, we've got the technology of these smartphones that are very smart, sometimes a little too smart for their own good, if you know what I'm saying. In the sense of that, some of you have probably seen, you'll think something. Like, I want to go to Paradise Island, and you'll just think it. Next thing you'll know, you start seeing advertisements for airlines taking you to the Caribbean. You're like, I didn't even write it nor say it. That's how smart this damn thing is. It's too smart for its own good. Gets you in trouble. So, welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City. I'm blessed to say happy holidays to everyone. We are in the festive month of December. And a little more than two and a half years doing something I've learned and more so, we come to love talking to people all around the world, okay? A few months back in the summer when I was touring, I ran into some people that were in the industry, a friend of mine, Shari, who used to do bookings back in the days, now returned into the world of the electronic music world. She now lives in Orlando. So last week... And this is what I love about what we do. This is the smartphone generation. Here we go. The smartphone generation. I get a message saying, I just spoke to someone who would love to come on. Can you fit them in? I said, when? This coming week before they move back to the UK. I said, what? I said, do I know who it is? Is it the OG that we spoke about in the past summer from Holloway Road area that owned a club that I played in, right? Who is the front man of a famous band? She said, yeah, Mr. C from The Shaman would love to come on. I said, you know what? If you can call him now, get me his pictures and stuff, I will slot that OG legendary guy right away. It's a true house stories. Lord, let me tell you, we couldn't move fast enough to get him on. We were out the door. I was banging away Facebook, Instagram, 100,000 hits on these things, these pictures. People were going, he's really coming on? I said, yo, my man, Mr. C, a.k.a., well, I should say Richard West, a.k.a., Mr. C, as I know him only as Mr. C, but check this out. As I remember from back in the day, one of the first vocalists, I'm not going to say sing, I'm going to say like a rapper, and I'll let him explain it even clearer, to take rapping and bring it into the electronic arena in the 80s, okay? That's seriousness. One of the first. 
especially coming out of the London area. Okay? You know, his parties became synonymous. His sound became synonymous. His look was synonymous. He had a bad boy look about him. He's an activist. We were just talking off off camera a little bit about, you know, his personal life. He's got a heart, a big heart. Um, you know, sometimes when we see people over through our pictures and we see them made up, we have this illusion that they're like vexed and rugged. You're going to see another side to him in a moment. So without no further ado, I'd like to bring up Richard West, Mr. C. <laughs> hey, how you doing, lady? <laughs> and he's from LA. How posh is that? Los Angeles. <laughs> she got LA up now. <laughs> Welcome to the show, brother. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing. It was something we, we had all spoken about months ago. And then I was just so happy to get this call. And with people like yourself, you know, you have to make a quick move. You we people have to move out of the way when I get that call. Yo, you're going. We bring my man in. I gotta bring him in. So again, once again, welcome to today's show. Of course, first thing I want to ask is how the hell are you? How's everything going? Everything's good. Things things are a little bit crazy at the moment. Um, I'm moving back to London um from Los Angeles. And uh obviously it's big news. Um, I only made it public a couple of days ago, and I'm leaving tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, heading heading back to London. So life's a bit crazy, um, packing stuff up and getting stuff ready uh, for the big move. Um, you know, it's, it's all a bit mad. Yes, <laughs> why are you leaving? Is too much sun, or is it just a change again? What's going yeah, on? Change, you know, like I've um, I've enjoyed Los Angeles for thirteen years now. Uh, it was when I moved over here, and it's a fantastic city. I've had a like a lot of good times here. Done my super freak parties, super freak warehouse parties and events, and um, you know worked the record label from here with my partner David Scuba, my super freak partner, and uh, you know we've had a lot of good times here. But you know there comes a time when you get that calling to go home. And, uh, you know, I think a lot more opportunity in London um, for my style of music, for sure. And, um, you know, a lot of people needing me to get get back and do stuff. And I think that time's right. You know, you get to that point where you just say, you know what? I need to be, I need to go home. I always say that for me, London's my second home. And New York and London are very close in that way. They're very similar. They're like both very fast cities. Um, it's a million miles an hour in both cities. It's that got that big, heavy metropolis vibe. They're very similar. I think you're distant cousins at least. <laughs> exactly. And for us house people, it's like an extension. It, it just yeah. feels everything yeah. about it. Everything about it. Yeah. Well, we want to wish you all the best. You know, we are envious of that lifestyle that you lead living in the Los Angeles area. Well, you know, you're going to go back to the rainy, dreary, hard living. It's freaking out there right now as well, apparently. It's pretty cold. <laughs> Your skin has gotten very thin, I bet, living out in California for that amount of years going back I, I, to the. You that bleep. Let me turn my mail off. Go away, mail, man. Very gay. Yeah, get the bleep. Get the bleep out of here. Anyway, bleep out of here. <laughs> what I was saying was, you know, they say when you move into a warm climate, your tolerance for the cold weather becomes difficult again. 
So you're gonna have I, a. I, I always found it cold, like difficult. <laughs> I'm one of these temperate sort of guys, you know. Like if it's too cold, I'm I'm like I'm like a pussy. I'm like, <laughs> and if it's too hot, I'm like, I can't take it. <laughs> I'm a temperate guy. <laughs> I think that was one of the things LA worked out so well because you know it's not it doesn't get even like in you can go all right through to June and it's still like. 75 80 and mostly awesome you know what i mean you like and then you get that four or five week period where it's like 105 and it's like oh no it's too hot but then it's dry it's not like a a, a humid like in new york it's a dry 105 and that's hang, on hang on a second i tell people this all the time like i went to vegas a dj okay a few times and been out in that desert area 114 degrees I tell people, you know, like it's the hottest day of the year. Then all of a sudden, a hot diesel bus comes in front of you with the engine pushing the heat at you. Mm, oh, yeah. And that burn, that's what that feels yeah. like, the dry burn. I don't like that feeling. I'm like, where's the air condition, please? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, that diesel engine, it's screaming hot, and then yeah. this thing's burning at you. You're like, I can't get away from this. Feel like I'm getting cooked feeling. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> Oh, dry heat's so wonderful. Yeah. When you're not outside. The wet heat, right? I mean, unless, yeah. of course, you're a big cram sauna or whatever they call it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. You know, as everybody knows, I asked the first question and I let you paint us your picture. So, Mr. C, as a young kid, how does music find you or you find the music? Um, I think the, the music found me, really. I, my mum loved music, yeah. Um, so I remember as a kid, like, my mum and dad split when I was only five. But so it was before my dad, my mum split. And I, I would always remember uh, my mum playing tracks on the record player. She had a record player and she would play the play records. And um, I've got a twin sister and a brother who's a year older than I. And, like, the three of us would... Uh, like enjoy the music that my mum was playing and she used to play all sorts of stuff and she used to play like and quite a lot a lot of it would be soul like the stylistics the commodores and stuff like that and that's the stuff that really worked for me I like I really like the small soul stuff and the disco anything with a, a little beat on it and I thought well, and that was the stuff that I was sort of attracted to so that was my very first like experiences and, and my first drawing towards music itself. And it came from that. Um, so that, you know, that by that time, by the age of four, we're talking 1970. So, you know, um, I had to then, you know, for, for me, it was uh, uh, just uh, enjoying listening to music as and when it came up and when it was being played. And I really started, you know, my first, my first, the first person I was a fan of was Elvis Presley. Um, I, I really thought that that, you know, he, he was a very special performer. He was the king. And um, I was into Elvis for a while. And um, then when he died, it was really weird. Like, because I had a couple of posters on the wall and I play his records. And he, he died, I think I was about, I was about 10. And um, I took the posters off the wall, nine or something like that. And I took the posters off the wall and like put them away. And my mom's like, what are you doing? Why are you taking the posters down? I'm like, he's gone. She's like, what? I'm like, he's gone. Time to move on. Get into something else. I was nine. 
And she's like, that's weird, yeah? And, you know, my next thing that I got into immediately after Elvis was ABBA. And that's still my guilty pleasure today is ABBA. Uh, you know, I just loved everything about it. Like, it, it was proper disco. Like, the, the melodies, the chord progressions, the harmonies, and the music always so tragic and heart-wrenching. It was like, you know, so I got into that for a year or two. Then it wasn't really that long. It was literally a couple of years. But that listening to ABBA and Dancing Queen, and then that sort of led me to Blondie, and then all of a sudden I'm listening to disco. So there I am, I'm in, and I'm listening to, I like disco and soul. And that's, it was the ABBA influence, that soulful and that disco influence in ABBA that got me into soul and disco. So that I know, it's like, okay, well, this is, this is my sound. You know, this is what I like. And that was at a very, the, the, the very young age of like 12, or something like this. So then I started to investigate black music um, a, a bit more. And then at uh, 13, I discovered ska. But again, it wasn't through the original Jamaican ska. It was through uh, a couple of new bands that came through in the UK uh, called Madness and The Specials. And they, but this whole new ska things started blowing up uh, um, and I was a 13 year old kid very impressionable um, always been very easily led <laughs> and I was like okay yes yeah, so get into some scar so I got into the very first madness album which was called madness the very first specials album which was called specials the specials and they both came out in 1979 I was 13 and I got into both of these albums and immediately found Prince Buster um uh, Harry J and the All-Stars, uh, the Scatterlights, and started finding original Jamaican scar from like the late 60s. And then that was like, oh, this is even better for me than the, Eng the new English version of it. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I did that for a couple of years. And, but, but while still listening to soul, funk and everything, I became a rude boy. I had the whole, did the whole thing, you know, the whole two-tone, like skinny two-tone suits and the hat and the, you know, I was 14, 13, 14, wanting to be all trendy and fashionable. And I went the whole nine yards with it, I, as I always have done with like music and fashion cultures. So I got really into that and I was into it for a couple of years. And then um, my mum got remarried uh, when I was, 15 and um, so now we're in 1981 and uh my mom my mom got married the beginning of 80 might be the end of 80 and she got me remarried and she's like can you grow your hair for the, the wedding because i just did you know the rude boys we all had skinheads and um, uh, i'm like yeah of course i will so i grew my hair and then and you know got myself a nice gabichi sweater with suede on it and some some like nice farrer pants and trousers really nice slacks and like you know dressed up for the wedding and once i got to that i was like you know what i like this look and didn't go back and it was like, so I switched immediately to this more casual look and started to not listen so much to the scar and more to the disco and the soul and the funk again. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I never really stopped listening to that, but it was a lot less. My focus for a year or two was scar and then focus went back to disco and funk. And that was it. It just went on from there forevermore. <laughs> uh, see, here's the thing. What radio was setting the tone for you to be listening to at that time for Scar yeah. music? Because that's important. 
Yeah, well, it's funny because there wasn't really that much of it on radio. I mean, there was because Madness uh, were became a pop band, as did the Specials and the British Beat and Selector and UK Subs and yeah, Bad Manners and all these bands all became pop because it blew up as a culture in England. And you know what England's like, what the UK is like. When something comes and we we embrace it, if something happens, we'll go, right, that's ours. We'll take that. So, um, you know, I had that, I, the, the radio stations was the mainstream stations, like, you know, your BBC Radio 1 and Capital Radio in London that were playing all that kind of stuff. But it was having to dig deeper to find the other music. And that meant going to the record shop and asking for it and finding out what, where can I buy Prince Buster records? Where can I buy uh, Harry J and All Stars? Where can I buy a Scatterlights record from? And you know, it's that, Go ahead. You know, funny. I'm not to cut you off, but I've said this in previous um, episodes about some of the UK lot. You guys were very educated and read and looked for things like you sussed out. something, you had to find everything we, out about it. Everything. Yeah, it it is like that. And it was like that for us with disco. Um, you know, like obviously, like disco came from New York. Yeah, that was where it was born and uh, proliferated the world. <clears throat> but I think that it was bigger in London than it was in New York. It was huge. Like, as a, for me, as a kid growing up, like, you know, all these big tracks coming out in the 70s, late 70s and early 80s, absolute pop hits, like top five, top 10, number one, UK number one pop song. Disco, you know, and so, and and the way that, that the UK embraced disco, you know, like all the nightclubs were all disco nightclubs and funk. It was everywhere, and it was normal as a, like you know someone who was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. My first clubbing experiences was disco, and that was what was in all of the clubs. So, and then again, it's like you know, once you get in and you hear you know Sister Sledge and all the you know the pop bands, then you're going to go in at, like you know if you're interested you'll find out and go, go in a bit deeper so you know i'd go to the record shop go to groove records in wardour street in the west end and see what new disco would come in see what new electro was coming in because you know i was fascinated by you know when the very first electro tracks you know like the very first rap tracks when i was 13 i bought rappers delight and they're like you know uh, the sugar hill gang and uh, i know that that band was a fabricated band they weren't real rappers new york rappers it was fabricated a bit like a boy a fabricated boy band but it was a that, that rapper's delight was a 15 minute long rap and as a 13 year old kid i was like wow this is it this is it. i love this so that got me into that and you know and, and then it, straight away i want to know more and then i find curtis blow and i find you know like all these different and i'm like whoa what's this and then when you find curtis blow you find washington dc go-go and then you find the 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 Philadelphia creams, you know, like Vincent Montana. And then you find, and it just becomes this rabbit hole. And that was what happened to me. It, it just became this rabbit hole. And, you know, I wanted, you know, to, to, you know, the, to find the beautiful soul, the voyeur's ubiquity and the, you know, I wanted to find the, the, uh, the rare underground funk, like, you know, the headhunters and stuff like that. And I wanted to find, you know, like really special music, uh, uh, hungry for more. And so I just kept searching and kept searching. And I, I was definitely inspired by radio. This is when radio got big for me. And it was probably around uh, when I was about 15 years old. So we're talking 1980, 
1981, eight, late 80, early 81, and it was the pirate stations started coming up in London for the first time. And we had um, a, a radio station called Horizon and another radio station called Solar. And, and like all these little pirate radio stations started popping up and they were playing soul, funk, disco, rare groove, uh, reggae, or all these kind of things, boogie, you know, it's like now it's 81, 82, 83, and you've got all the nice boogie stuff starting to come through that was just blowing my mind, like amazing artists, uh, you know, your Cherie Browns and your, all this amazing stuff. And I'm like, wow, whoa. Uh, I was addicted. I was listening to the radio all the time. I'd sit there with my ghetto blaster and my blank c90 tape and i'd wait for the songs i like and as soon as the dj shut up talking record play yeah and i'd get you missed the beginning of the tune because the dj would be talking and then when he started talking stop pause and then wait for the next song that i wanted to record and it might be 10 songs before one would come on oh i want that one <laughs> and so i'd be and i would do that and then that got me hungry to actually go out and get the records. And um, my brother got, uh, had a stereo, uh, me and my brother shared a bedroom and he had the stereo system. It was his because he's a year older than me. So he would always get those things a year before me, like he'd get the stereo. So now I can't have a stereo because why would we have two stereos in the room? It was right. So I've got to use his stereo, but I can only use his stereo when he's not using his stereo. And then, like, if I was, if he was downstairs, like, it, it, my brother would listen to rock, like heavy metal, uh, blues, like, but my rock, uh, you know, he was a headbanger. He was one of the, uh, 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 the headbangers, my brother. He still plays in rock bands and sings today. He's amazing, my brother. He's hilarious. I love him to bits. But it would be like, he'd hear me put on something on the stereo, a funk or soul or disco, and he'd come running up the stairs. I want to put my records on. It's my stereo. Well, that just made me want to play records even more. So, yeah, wait, so, wait, so, wait, so is he playing? So he's playing heavy metal and stuff, and his yeah, on his, yeah, yeah. So Metallica but, like, and all that. We're hearing Metallica. We're hearing all Metallica, ACDC, ACDC, Status Quo, like all these kind of bands. Hendrix Experience, all yeah. that. Stuff. Yeah. So, so, but he, it would be this thing where um, I would have to wait until he actually went out the house. To, oh, with his mates, and then I could play it, and then he won't <laughs> running up the stairs. Or oh, I want to play my records now; it's my stereo. And it was like that. Not allowing me to play my records was maybe a maybe uh, a psychological traumatizing event for me. <laughs> and so now I've got this trauma, and now I want to play my records. How many times did your brother play Stairway to Heaven in that house? I bet a thousand times. Everybody in those days would play Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. So that, and it was funny because, you know, like having a, sharing a bedroom with a brother and you're totally into different things. We even support different soccer teams. So it was like, you know. Oh, Jesus. Talk about that. It's like, you know, totally different. Like, you know, football is obviously. Everyone, that's the art of war right there. Talk about the team it's art of war happening right oh, there. music could be more opposite he's into rock and i'm into soul and funk and disco and yeah, but yeah, two he's an old man and it's like ah. <laughs> a lot of fun but anyway um yeah but that was really for me but i like my hunger to play music i just wanted to listen to music all the time uh you know literally 
That was all I wanted to do from a teenager almost. Is, Can I have some more music? I just want to hear music. I want to hear beats. I want to hear, and you know, that yeah, I was, I, it was a very golden age for me, you know, that late 70s and early 80s and seeing rap music change from being organic to electronic, seeing the first electro tracks come through, uh, you know, Africa Bombata and the Soul Sonic Force and Nucleus and uh, Egyptian Lover and, uh, you know, Captain Rock and all that early electro stuff that was being mixed down my Arthur Baker and F. Francois Kabokian and all that. And I'm like, what is this? Oh, this is all right. Yeah, give me some of that. <laughs> and that was what we was doing in England. We was like break dancing and we was like doing before before break dancing, it was the robot, you know, Shalimar. Body popping. The body popping. Exactly, all the body popping, well, robot first, then body popping, then break dancing. So that, I was in, that was me, that was my life. And um, yeah, it got to a point where when I was 16, so this would be 1982. Um, the God's year, 1982, everyone, the God's year. So I'm not very supple. I, you know, I haven't touched my toes since I was 13, right? So, you know, when it comes to the break dancing, and like, you know, my hair, it's pretty thin. It's always been thin. <laughs> of very fine hair. So spinning on the head was out. Anything that was going to give me hair loss any quicker was a no-no. Yeah. So I'm not going to be spinning on my head. Um, the, the crazy leg was all right, but all the spinning and all got a bit much for me. I wasn't that good. Yeah. I was good at body popping, but not the break dancing. And I and these kids are coming up at 12, 13, doing all the crazy leg and the windmills and da 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 da. And I'm like, what? How am I going to stay ahead of these youngsters? I know, I'm going to start writing my own rap lyrics. No. So I started writing all my own rap lyrics. Yeah, like, you know, 16 years old, 1982, you know, and started writing raps. And it was all very old school, you know, a bit like that, you know, the old school Grandmaster Flash and the Furious. Like these are the breaks. Pick it up, yeah, you know, I'll give you one of my, my first, I still remember the first rap I ever okay. wrote. Break it down. Bad. Check me out. I come to show you what rapping is all about. Because I'm rocking on the mic seven days a week to let the people know that I reach my peak. Because London is my place of birth. Where the people that are rocking are down to earth. It don't matter if you're not south, east, or west. Because London is a place that rocks the best. Well, I miss the sea in the place to be. Rocking on my rhymes, spending cash and money. And that was what I was doing. Like, you know, playing around, freestyling. Yeah. Rocking all the time, Ryan got on all my friends' nerves. My friends were like, Well, shut the fuck up. You? You, know, you don't stop. Can't you shut up? And it's funny because many years later, um, Melody Maker, there's like a, a music magazine in England, it's like a like a newspaper, but yeah, yes. Melody Maker. They did a spoof on me for like a third, I don't know, 13, 14 weeks running, just like taking the piss out of me. They slaughtered me, like as being this annoying, irritating rapper. But they don't know how true that was. <laughs> when I was right out of me as a 25-year-old man being annoying and irritating, they if they'd have known me when I was 16. <laughs> Let's see who's back from 83. <laughs> his nerves. So, uh, you know, I was one of the only white rappers in London. Uh, there was another one called MCJC001, and he was a bad boy as well. He worked rapped with, he was the rapper with Killing Joke. Um, and, like, you know, basically I was, I was rapping and, uh, and like working in uh, uh, with clubs, with radio, um, started getting into that. Well, first it was bedroom when I was 16, and um, there was a thing, a CB radio, 
it got really big in the early 80s and everyone was using CB radio, kind of like how we use Facebook and social networking. And everyone had their little CB radio at home. What, like, yeah, one nine was the the lorry, the truckers channel, breaker one nine, breaker one nine. But all the household ones, the breaking channel was one four. And we'd go on, and you'd have, you know, you have to have a city name uh, when you're on there. Like, yeah, everyone's got it's called a handle. And me being a Chelsea fan and living in Arsenal area, I thought I'd wind everyone up and call myself Chelsea boy as you do, because, you know, that's me all over, as you'll poke the bear. And, um, then when I, you know, you have to have a silly name. And then when you get, get become a rapper, you, rappers have to, you have to have a silly name. So there was me at 16 thinking, all right, um, I'm a, I'm a man now. It's funny. I didn't grow up till I was 54 a couple of years ago. <laughs> but there's yes, me. Are you an adult yet? Have you learned okay. to be an adult yet? Because yeah, 16 thinking, yeah, I'm a man. Uh, yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> so, and, and as a rapper, you've got to have a silly name. So I'm from Chelsea Boy to Mr. C. And that was how the Mr. C came out, yeah, came about as a name, because it was a rap name to start with. And I started rapping, writing about being Mr. C. And I did the, these MC Breakers Clubs. And we, there used to be these all get-togethers, like where all the breakers would all get together on a Friday night in a, in a community centre with a, with a mobile disco. Like and and we they would play electro disco funk. We want to be body popping and break dancing, and that was what it was uh, for us at sixteen, seventeen. So my first rap experience in front of people That's on my sound system was in these CB clubs and that got me like a little bit like you know oh that's good uh like you, know, and- you with the handle you guys would make announcements I'm performing Friday or I'm gonna be hanging out at such and such spot no, yeah I mean not everybody would go there anyway because right, everyone so was, it was the place to go okay it was the place to go so everyone would just be there everyone would just okay. go there and they weren't these like community centers and stuff like that no as well. regular team, right? club. we were kids do you know what i mean um okay. but it was, it was very soon after that that, that you know we started Wait. going to i remember clearly my first club that's i want to ask you the first night you ever did it in a club atmosphere and you're getting ready to like you watched eminem do it in a movie and this and that he'll they reenact it can you yeah. read what that was for you that first night, stepping up, grabbing that mic or whatever you were working with? Yeah, um, I was uh, I was seventeen, and uh, I were, uh, my uh, my uh, parents went took me on a vacation. Uh, we were very poor, so we hadn't travelled abroad. I, you know, as kids, I come from a poor from from projects is where, where I'm from. Council so housing. Sure, yeah, council housing. Yeah, so that's where I'm from, and. Uh, um, it, it, we didn't travel a lot, and I went to uh, Tenerife, which is the, in the Canary Islands. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's very. They, they've got like really common sort of like you know spring breaker type areas, like Playa de la One was called Playa de los Americas, and I went into the Playa de los Americas, and there was a club right, a big club right there, and I can't, can't remember the name of it now. Um, no, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a big club. And I went in and there was this dude and he was playing all disco because that's what it all was back then. And, and I, I go up and I chat, like, say, call it the DJ over. And I say, hey, he's like, yeah, I said, uh, can, uh, can I do a rap? And he's like, what What do you mean? He's like, I, I said, can I do a rap? He's like, what, you want to rap along with something? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to rap along with anything. I want to do, I've got my own lyrics. 
I'm a rapper and I'll rap on an instrumental song if you want me to do some rapping and get this party going. And he's like, yeah, okay, what, what, what do you want to rap on? I said, um, have you got Heavy, Heavy Vibes by Montana Sextet? And he's like, yeah, I've got that actually. I'm like, okay, well, that one, because that I like that song and it was what I would practice on. But now, I'm not an MC, I'm a rapper. So I this is where I learned. This is a big learning curve for me. Like, like because, you know, when you're a rapper, you've got to be an MC as well, a master of ceremony. Yeah? Yes. Like, but I didn't know that bit. So I'm just getting ready to rap my lyrics. Yeah. And, you know, with like, you, you know, Mon, the, the song Heavy Vibes, it starts off and then it goes this break, right? It builds up the rhythm and then it does this breakdown that goes, bing, bing, and, then, and then it all kicks in. So it's quite a while. It's a good minute. Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.